0: listening to that psalm that uh, Brother Gary read, Psalm 37, and the refrain that came over and over and over again was, the wicked shall perish. The wicked shall perish. Then I thought about the Gospel of John, and I thought, boy, the wicked shall be cut off was another refrain and how Christ became sin for us and was cut off, that we might not perish. What a glorious gospel, and it's been a joy to go through this gospel uh, with you, beloved, as a church, and to see Christ and his beauty put on display, And, and now we're coming uh, to a point, as we said last week in John's Gospel, where we're taking a turn in his Gospel, turning from Christ being magnified as the Son of God and the Messiah and all his glory, and we've taken a turn to the cross. And so take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. Uh, we saw as Christ is headed to the cross, uh, we've moved on from the trial of Jesus before the Jews to now we're moving to the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, before the Gentiles, if you will, in verses 28 uh, to verse 38a. That's where we'll be looking this morning. So as I've said, through this, we'll read it in a second here, but uh, through this gospel, We've seen over and over again the beauty, the power, the love, the purity, and the righteousness of Jesus. We've seen him to be the Lamb of God, and we've seen him to be blameless and to be holy. The writer of Hebrews says this about him. He says in chapter 4, verse 15, he was without sin. Our Lord was holy unstained, innocent, separated from sinners. Peter says of him in his letter, he committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so Christ came and presented himself to his own people, to the Jewish people, and they were faced with the truth regarding Jesus. And they were faced with the choice to either receive their Messiah or to reject him who was very clearly portrayed before them. They were faced with the choice to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved or reject him and be cut off where the wicked perish. And their choice, as we saw, was to do what? Was to arrest him and unjustly try him before the high priest and before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish Supreme Court. And the light of Christ, though it was shining in the darkness, and though the darkness tried to overcome the light, the Jewish leaders and rulers in Israel condemned him to die. The most egregious miscarriage of justice and evil ever committed, as these wicked put the sinless Messiah to death, call for his death. And so it's at this point in John 18.28, because Paul, Brother Paul, came up to me after the service last week, and he asked a very good a very good question and it's one that a lot of people have brought up in the past he said so are the Jewish people then uh, the only ones that are responsible for this are we to uh, I forgot the exact way he put it but are, are we to like dislike Jewish people because of this and and I said no I said we'll come back next week because next week we'll see that it's not just the Jewish people that rejected their Messiah. It's everyone. It's the whole world. And that's what happens in John 18, verse 28. Christ came to his own and his own rejected him, but so did all of the world condemn Jesus to die. And so here in verse 28, the Gentile world it's not represented by the high priests and the Sanhedrin, but is represented by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He faces the same choice that the Jewish people faced. He is faced with the choice to either receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, to receive Him as King, or to reject Him, to submit to Christ as King or not to submit in him. And just like Jesus makes himself clearly known to the Jewish people, as we've seen through this gospel, this, in this account, we will see Christ make himself known to Pilate. He will shine his light and make himself clearly known to Pilate in this what is supposed to be a trial of Jesus, It actually becomes a trial of Pontius Pilate standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that, that Christ, he did not come to hide the truth of God and keep it secret from the world, but he came, as we'll see, to bear witness to the truth and to call and to receive sinners unto himself. Christ came in love to save sinners not to condemn them, though some will be condemned, many, in fact. And so we see that displayed here. And so take your Bibles, turn to John 18 if you haven't already, and we will pick up as John picks up the trial uh, of Jesus before Pontius Pilate in um, verse 28. Hear the word of the, the Lord, beloved. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Let's pray. Lord we thank you for your word and we know that it is truth because you have spoken it and you have conveyed it to us and you have confirmed it and it is proven and shown itself to be faithful and true over and over again Lord we thank you for this account that John has given to us of this trial opening our eyes to the world's treatment of the Messiah and opening our eyes really to what our response to the Messiah had had been in the past and would have been had you not shown us grace. We know, Father, that we too stood with Pilate and with the world and with the Jews in condemning the Lord Jesus We thank you that you have forgiven us of our unbelief and that you have saved us. We pray that you would grant to us an understanding and a deeper knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at this passage, that your people would be strengthened and equipped and built up, that all of us would learn more and more humility to come before you with thanksgiving and praise. We ask for your mercy now. I ask for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So really, this section is two sections here to this trial. Uh, One is, which we'll look at, 28 to 32. Uh, This is Pontius Pilate's going to interrogate the Jewish people about Jesus, uh, really, um, and then we're well not really interrogate them. They're going to have a conversation about Jesus. And then we'll see, as we conclude, Jesus's conversation with Pilate in 33 to 38a. And so if you look at verse 28, basically the Jewish people at this point in uh, history are under Roman rule, okay? And they're under Roman law. And they're free to practice uh, pretty much what they want to in, in their religion. They're free to exercise a kind of uh, self-governance in, in, uh, in Israel in most matters. But the one thing that they weren't able to do under Roman rule, which is what they did in the Old Covenant and so on, is they weren't able to put people to death. They weren't able to exercise capital punishment because in Rome, the sword, if you will, belonged to Rome. And so in verse 18, in verse 28, we're told that after Jesus is tried by the Jews who, who condemned him to die, right, and rather than just taking him and killing Jesus themselves, they led Jesus to the governor's headquarter, which in some of your Bibles might be called the praetorium, which is basically is a, is a place of a judgment, a judgment hall, a courthouse in a way. It's the place where they heard court cases, and normally the governor's headquarters uh, were in Caesarea, uh, but um, in the palace of Herod the Great, but because it's Passover, uh, Roman governors and leaders would often make their abode in Jerusalem in order to put down riots and all of the chaos that might arise with all of the Passover feasts, and so uh, in this case, uh, Pilate is probably at uh, Herod's another of Herod's palaces, palaces which would be on uh, on the western wall, um, or he could even be in the fortress of Antonia, which is northwest of the temple and it's connected uh, by steps to the temple's outer court. So I don't know. We don't know where Pontius Pilate necessarily was, but he is in Jerusalem. And so the Jews, after they try Jesus, they lead Jesus here uh, to Pontius Pilate. Now, they lead him here, as we've said not because they wanted Pilate to be an impartial judge and to confirm their judgment. So they're not, they're not bringing Jesus there because they're like, okay, well, we think he should die and part of the Sanhedrin is, is mixed. Some say die, some say live, and there's a big mixture. And so let's bring him to Pontius Pilate to get kind of a final judgment to see, you know, if he agrees with us and, and uh, then we can put him to death they they're really bringing him there because this was John MacArthur Pastor John MacArthur said they want Pilate to be an executioner. They don't want justice for Jesus, they want his death. That that's what they're committed to. And so I think that as we've read this passage, it's likely that the Jewish leadership had already spoken to Pilate about their intention. This is when they were trying Jesus earlier in the, in, in the morning. They were trying him at night there. I, I think there were some that went to Pilate, and they told him about their intention of bringing Jesus before Pilate. In other words, wasn't a, this is not a surprise visit. So it's not like they come, and then suddenly Pilate's like, oh, whoa, all, all these people are coming, and he comes out to meet them. I, I think he's expecting them to come. And so when they arrive, it's early in the morning. This could mean before 6 a.m., but I think John's using it in more of a vague early uh, reference to early morning. And I think it's probably uh, sometime after, just means sometime after sunset. So it doesn't necessarily mean before 6 a.m. It's sometime after sunset. And so... um, Not only did we see in John 18 the the Jewish trial of the Sanhedrin, but Mark tells us that there was another real more formal meeting of the Sanhedrin just before this occurred. So some time has passed. They've had this more formal meeting. And now it's early in the morning, sometime after sunset, and they come to, to Pilate. And there's some real thick irony here, as we've seen in John before. And the irony is this, you'll, you'll see in, in reading it, John notes that the Jewish leadership, they bring him to Pilate's headquarters, but you'll notice they did not want to enter the headquarters. And the reason they didn't want to enter the headquarters, John says, is so that they would not be defiled and could do what? Could eat the Passover. That's, that's really ironic, considering that eating the Passover which in this context is not a reference to the specific Passover meal, because Jesus ate that with his disciples earlier, but it's a reference to, and Luke used it in this way, it's a reference to the Passover feast that the Passover meal brought about. So after the Passover meal, there was a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? It took seven days, and so this whole Passover is the way that their thinking. They're thinking. The Passover itself was already eaten, but there's a whole week of feasts that are to come in celebration of that. And so they're coming to Pilate, and if they entered Pilate's headquarters, they would be considered unclean, and they wouldn't be able to celebrate the rest of the Passover. And so they, they don't want to enter in. And part of the reason is because Gentiles in their homes, it was believed that they this is just horrific to even say but but that they would bury their aborted fetuses or babies in their homes or that they would even flush them down the drains in their residences so i mean our our society is is horrifically lost when it comes to abortions and and, and the killing of the unborn and so on and, and the things that we do. And we're looking at a society here that is, it's kind of weird to say, but much the same as ours. It's a, it's a society that in just in their pagan influence in life, they would do things like this. And so for the Jews who wanted to be clean before the Lord for the Passover for them to come into contact with a dead body, it meant that they would have to go through a seven-day purification. And so they don't wanna become unclean. On, On other days, they would go into the governor's headquarters, but on this particular day, the irony is that they stay out so they don't become unclean so they can celebrate the Passover. And all the while, what they're doing is they are conniving and striving to do what? To put to death the Passover lamb. And so they don't want to be defiled. Sad. Sad reality. Religious people seek to keep lesser laws to justify themselves before God when they reject the greater laws, and specifically the law to believe on the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. J.C. Ryle notes, puts it like this, men who know they are wrong in one direction are often struggle to make things right by excess zeal in another direction. Uh, that very zeal is their condemnation, and so it was for these Jew- Jewish people. And so Jesus even says as much to the Pharisees when he pronounces woes on them. Talks about their hypocrisy in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This happened before this trial. You, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what we see here. Crucify Passover lamb, don't become undefiled, stay out of Pilate's house so we can celebrate. In any case, Pilate's initial reaction to them, we're told in verse 29, is Pilate goes out to meet them. He recognizes they're not going to enter his house, so he, you know, as governor, he goes out to meet them. Um, <clears throat> And Pilate asks them what the accusation is. And this, I think, catches the Jewish leaders off guard. I, I, I think it's, it's as if they're coming before Pilate. Pilate's already heard it. And in the Jewish leaders' minds, they're, they're thinking that Pilate's going to retry this case. They had an expectation that he's going to come out and he's going to, based on their prior discussion, and he's going to condemn Jesus on the spot. And in their response to his question, you see their frustration because they answered him in this way. They said, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So there's a sense in which they, they've already talked to him about this, and they're, they're frustrated. They're saying, listen, we're here. We're bringing Jesus here to you like we talked, and we would never have even come here if he wasn't doing evil. And so they're basically saying, we set this up not for a retrial, Pilate. We set this up because he, the evil they're thinking of is they told Pilate that Jesus was a king and that Jesus was threatening the Roman Empire. Now, their arguments and problems with Jesus were actually theological he was claiming to be the son of god he was saying he was equal with abraham he is he's saying he's bringing the kingdom of god this is what really bothered them this is why they picked up stones to stone him because jesus was presenting himself clearly as their messiah and they wanted him dead for that but in order to get the execution, they had to go to Pilate, they had to make things up, and they had to make it sound like Jesus as king is coming to overthrow the Roman rule. He's a threat to Rome and to the empire and to Pilate. And so they say, if he was not doing that evil that they told him about, we wouldn't even have brought him over to you. So they couch their accusations in political terms and I think Pilate, I think he, he's kind of toying with them and, and he sees their motives and he's enjoying the fact that they, Jewish people, had come before him to seek his judgment and approval. He loves it. He's He's feeding off it. That's the kind of guy that he was. They don't like him. He doesn't like them. They don't like Rome. And he's thinking, there's no way that they're bringing this Jesus before me because they really care that he's, you you see, that he's undermining the Roman Empire. He knows they don't care about the Roman Empire. So it doesn't make sense that they're bringing him. And so, he asks them, okay, here he is, what, what are the accusations? Let's, let's try this case, which upsets them. And you see it because they answer it in uh, verse 30, uh, back in verse 31, they answered him, If this man was not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, okay, then take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. To which the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they're throwing the law back at Pilate and they're saying, he's a threat to Rome. You need to hear this case. We can't put anyone to death. And so you need to hear, you need to hear this case and take our accusation and condemn Jesus to die. Now, they can't put Jesus to death even if they want to because of verse 31, but more importantly, they won't put Jesus to death because... John says in verse 32 that the outcome of this whole interaction is already set in place. Pilate may be toying with them, but ultimately their false accusation against Jesus is going to lead him to the cross, and they, Jew and Gentile, the whole world together, will condemn the Lord Jesus Christ to be crucified, just as Jesus said would happen. Verse 32. So that's kind of the setting. Now, before this happens, though, Pilate still wants to talk to Jesus himself. And so that leads us into this scene in verse 33 to 38. Pilate thinks he's interrogating Jesus, but Jesus is interrogating the heart of Pilate here. And I find this awesome. I just, the Lord Jesus is so loving and so patient with sinners. He he is on trial here for his life. He's preparing to go to the cross to be crucified unjustly. And our Lord turns this trial into an opportunity to call Pilate to believe on him. Pilate is beginning with what he knows the Jews told him, but the Lord wants Pilate to examine his heart. And so Pilate starts by asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? They're saying you're a king. They're saying you're... some kind of king here, well, tell, tell me about this. And so Jesus, now that's not a bad question. What's the motive behind it, though? Jesus wants to draw this out. Because it, it on its face, is a good question, isn't it? If someone were to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Isn't that what the Samaritan woman did? You know, talked, asked him about being... The Messiah, he's going to come. Tell me about this water of life and so on. There was a softness to her heart, and so Jesus now is drawing this out. And Pilate doesn't realize it, but the answer to that question is relevant not only for Jews but for everyone. It is a relevant question for the entire world to have the answer to this question: is Is Jesus the King of the Jews? it matters infinitely for everyone, not just for Jew, but even for Gentile. And so Jesus asks Pilate if he is asking this because others said this about him, or is he asking it because of um, his own conviction of his heart? In other words, Is your question, Pilate, springing from a deep desire in your heart to know the answer, to know the truth about that? Are you really looking to quench your thirsty soul and to satisfy your your spiritual hunger? Is that why you're asking me this question? Or, Pilate, Are you asking me this question because you're just parroting what other people have said about me? This is is the heart now. Is it soft and is it seeking the Messiah like the Samaritan woman? Is Pilate, in one sense, Jesus is asking, Pilate, are you of the truth? Are you one of my sheep? Because remember Jesus said earlier, my sheep do what? They hear, they listen, and they hear. And so he's, he's bringing this up to examine, examine Pilate's heart here. Jesus already knows the answer. That's the thing. He already knows the answer. But what this tells us is that Jesus, he desires... This shows you the desire of God that all people be saved and that God takes no death, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. When we read that psalm and he says he will cut off the wicked and they will perish, the scripture tells us that God takes no pleasure in that. You do understand that. God judges the world, and he judges sinners, and he judges the wicked, but it's not like he loves it. He doesn't want the wicked to perish. Jesus doesn't want Pilate to reject him and to face the consequence of his sin and and be judged for eternity in hell. He doesn't want that. He didn't want Judas to reject him. He didn't want his own people, Israel, to reject their Messiah. It's not like he took pleasure in this. But what it reveals is that stubborn hardness of heart that we as sinners all have to refuse to come to our God who made us and to refuse to bow our knee before him and humbly admit that we're sinners. And so Jesus comes in love to Pilate, though being tried, still presenting himself to Pilate so that Pilate has the opportunity to repent of his sin and to turn to Christ and be redeemed, even though Jesus knows that the one I am talking to is going to reject me. That's how, that's how Christ is. That's, that's his, his love for sinners, And so Pilate responds in this way, indicating he's clearly not a sheep, not one of Jesus's when he says it like kind of cynically. I added that. It doesn't say that there, but am I a Jew? Am I I a Jew? So what is he saying? He's basically saying, this question is irrelevant to me because I, this only matters for the Jews. Why would it matter to me is what he's saying. Why should I care whether or not Jesus, you are the king of the Jews? What, what does that matter to me, a Gentile? I could care less about you or any Jew having kingly aspirations, right? And so he says to Jesus, you're only here because your own people and leaders delivered you to me. You're not here because I really want to know. So he's totally cynical. He's totally indifferent to the question. And so he's revealing his heart and he can't understand it. So he says, what is it you have done See, he's not buying the Sanhedrin's accusation. He thinks there's got to be something more behind their hatred of Jesus. For the Jews to pretend that they care about Rome doesn't fit. There's something more. And at this point, Jesus begins to set this record straight for Pilate. And Jesus makes it clear to Pilate that, yes, he is a king and that he's not here to threaten the Roman Empire, but he is here to bring his kingdom and actually to let Pilate know that those who hear and listen to him are of that truth and of that kingdom. He's he's presenting himself here to Pilate. So Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. This is his response to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Yes, I'm a king, but I didn't come to set up a temporal kingdom which would interfere with yours. If I did, you would see me doing what earthly kings do. I'd be leading my servants. I'd be leading my armies. They would have fought to protect me. They would have fought for my cause. If I wanted a kingdom like yours, Pilate, I would have been doing all of these different things And I wouldn't have given myself so easily over to the Jewish people if my kingdom were of a temporal nature. But my kingdom is of a different order. It's of a different category. It it has its origins from a totally different place than this temporal world. Now, does Jesus' reign rule over the world? Of course it does. But his point here is that the origins of his kingdom are different. So Pilate kind of gets it. He understands what Jesus is talking about in one sense, that he's not threatening Rome, but he doesn't understand enough to to know that that in what way Jesus is saying he's a king. Okay, so if it's not temporal here, then what kind of king are you? That's why he says so. So you are a king then. That's what he says to him. And Jesus says, yes, I am a king. And then Jesus is bringing it home now and he gives him the purpose. The purpose for his kingdom. And he says, the purpose for which I came and the purpose for me and my kingdom, is to bear witness to the truth. This is is what Jesus came for, to bear witness to the truth. And what is the truth that Jesus, all through the gospel of John, has been bearing witness to? Right, He's bearing witness to the saving work of God to testify to sinners the truth that This is very simple. If you ever want to share the gospel with someone, just think in these four categories, okay? You can share the gospel with anyone in 60 seconds if you just think of these categories. To bear witness to the truth that God is holy. When you look at Jesus and you look at his life and you look at his sinless nature, there was no deceit found in his mouth. He was holy, upright, innocent, blameless. He's putting God on display and he's bearing witness to the truth That God is holy. And then he's bearing witness to the truth that man is a sinner. He bears witness to that truth that man is a sinner, is fallen, is is guilty before before God. God is holy. Man is in need, is, is sinful and guilty. God holy, man guilty. And then he's bearing witness to the truth that mankind, therefore, needs a what? Savior. He's bearing witness to this truth. You need a Savior. Why? Because you are guilty before a holy God. And unless there is someone to pay the price for that sin, to be cursed on your behalf, to perish and take that judgment of God in your place, you will have to bear it yourself because you will endure that judgment that is rightfully yours. And then the third part, man is holy. I mean, God, it's just the opposite. God is holy. Man is sinful. Man needs a Savior. And then Jesus is bearing witness to the truth to say, I am that Savior. And if you will believe in me and trust me, you will be saved. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what Jesus came to bear witness to by his words and his life. And you'll notice the way that Jesus even says and presents this to Pilate. You you see where he says, for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I, I love this, I came into the world. Now, born, we can understand, and so can Pilate, right? Because we may not know what it's, remember what it's like to be physically born, but we know we were born, and we came into the world, and, and Pilate, there's a sense in which he can grasp. That. But when Jesus says here, and for this purpose, I came into the world, what does that suggest? It suggests that he was somewhere before he came into the world. To say I have come into the world is to say I was somewhere else before this and I entered into this world. And so this is, a, this is what John has been talking about so much in this gospel is about the incarnation of Christ. And this is Jesus's testimony to say that not only is my kingdom not of this world, but you have to understand, Pilate, I am not of this world. My My birth, my life, my purpose, Jesus says, did not originate at my birth. And nor did my kingdom. I mean, and this is what Micah the prophet said in Micah 5 2. You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is who, it, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. That's what the prophet says. And Jesus is coming to Pilate, and he's saying, for this purpose I came into the world And Jesus made the same point to the Jews in John 8, 56 to 59, when he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. The Jews then said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am They took up stones to stone him. And so Jesus is driving home to Pilate this one final point because this is really what it all comes down to. This is what Jesus is exposing in the heart of Pilate and what he wants to expose in our hearts. Jesus tells Pilate this and he tells us this this morning. He makes this statement. Everyone who is of the truth, listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth, everyone who is one of my sheep, everyone who sees me as the Messiah, who sees me as the Lamb of God who takes away their sin, who sees me as the one who is their Redeemer, everyone who listens to my words, Pilate, and listens to my testimony and hears from me, is of the truth. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus and you reject him, it's because you are not of the truth. You belong to a different kingdom, a kingdom that belongs to this world. It means you belong to a kingdom that will one day perish. But everyone who believes, believes because they belong to Jesus. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? And they follow me. Pilate's response. What is truth? What is truth? That's his response. What does that indicate? It indicates that rather than inquiring and seeking and searching and listening, it indicates that Pilate had no concept of the truth of what Jesus was saying. It's sad that many today dismiss the gospel and they seek to take refuge. Talk to enough people, you'll see it. They seek to take refuge under agnosticism. They hear the gospel, it's clearly portrayed. Jesus is calling out to them, he's making himself known. And we live in a world that just says, nah, I don't know. I don't know, there can't be enough. No one can really know the truth. No one can know for sure. Do I, did Jesus even really exist? I don't know. And they keep, they keep going down and making what amounts to a excuse over and over and over again in excuse. But there is no excuse because Christ has made himself known clearly and powerfully and he ultimately made all of this known in the fact that not only did he die on the cross, but after three days he did what? He rose again. If there's anyone that has shown the authority, and that their word is true, it is the one who has died and conquered death. Don't take my word for it because you know what? I'll only be here for a few more years and I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. And then when I'm buried in the grave, guess what? I won't come back and rise again until Christ comes back and raises me from the dead. But when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and put in the grave, after three days, he rose himself. If there's anyone to give ear to and to believe and to trust, beloved, it's the one who has conquered death and promises life. And you know what it says in Proverbs? And we'll close here. Solomon says in Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 5, this is for you if you're here and you're agnostic, okay, and you're, ah, I'm not sure. God says this in his word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, yes. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, saying, look for it. God will make it known to you. And so, in conclusion, in a very real sense, here, beloved. We all stand in the place of Pilate. And daily we are confronted with Jesus' offer of salvation. There is just as much at stake for sinners today as there was for Pilate and how you respond to the truth regarding Jesus as the promised Messiah is a matter of eternal life and death. Your life is on the line. With whom will you side? With Judas, the Jews, Pilate, and the whole world who condemned him and cursed him and judged him unworthy of life? We'll see that next week when that happens. Or in seeing Christ and his purpose more clearly through this gospel and this passage, will you believe Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Will you accept him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Will you repent of your sin and come to follow him as Lord and Savior? If you've done that, beloved, if you've done that, and I trust most of you have, we have much, much to give thanks for, don't we? He's redeemed us. He saved us. He's washed us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your mercy and for your grace and for your kindness. We know, Lord, that we stood with Pilate and with the Jewish people and with the world in condemning you. And and if we were there, Lord, we would like to think that we would not be so foolish as Pilate and the rest of them. But deep down inside, Father, we know that we were and have been right next to them condemning you, rebelling against you, disobeying your commands, loving ourselves more than loving you, serving ourselves more than serving you, eating not just from the fruit of the tree that was in the midst of the garden, but eating from everything that we see and touch, wanting to fill our bellies, going after the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. Lord, we know that we have been guilty of this and Our very lives are a demonstration of that rebellion that we sided with Satan and with the world in condemning you. But you were so kind and so gracious that in the midst of our darkness, just as you did with Pilate, in the midst of our rebellion, you offered yourself to us as Savior. You came and presented your words of truth to us. You came and presented to us the gospel, the hope of eternal life, and the forgiveness of sin. You said, Here I am, the God who made you and, re- in, and created you and gave you breath, and here I am to give myself as a sacrifice to die in your place. Indeed, Lord Jesus. You gave us eyes to see that and ears to hear. You gave us the faith to believe what we could never have believed on our own. So we thank you for showing us mercy, for showing us love and kindness. We thank you that the salvation that you have given to us is not a salvation that sets us on the right course and then leaves us to ourselves, to try to make up the rest of the way, but it's a salvation that is complete and final. That you saved us entirely from the judgments of hell. That there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That neither life nor death nor principalities nor angels nor things present nor things to come nor life or death can separate us from your love. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in you. Lord Jesus, we know that there may be some here, and most certainly there will be those outside of this, this building that have not yet come to that faith in you. And you are presenting yourself to them this afternoon, this morning. And you're desiring for them to come to you as Savior and to repent of their sin. And and you have promised that you will never turn away those who come before you. You say, all who are heavy laden and weary, he says, come to me. And you will give them rest. All who are thirsty, you say, you will give them drink. And all who are hungering, you say, you will feed them. Lord, we pray that that would be true for anyone who is here this morning who wants to repent of their sin and receive your mercy. May you do a marvelous work among us and may you encourage us, O Lord, to continue to faithfully bear witness to this truth as you have borne witness to it to make the good confession of faith, Lord, that you might be honored and exalted and we might give you glory. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.